Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. This is an incredible episode, and I had the privilege of having a very in-depth conversation with self-help hacker, James Hepner. James and I got into an incredible conversation where we talked all about the highlight reel, the low light reel, the stages, the experiences, and the things that we all live through and the meaning that we give it. We can learn to find peace, joy, and be in love with the unknown and the unfamiliar at the same time, instead of being afraid of them. We talked about pain and the meaning that we give it and how pain stands for, please accept inner nudgings. That's his acronym that he uses that I love. Our life and our bodies are always giving us an inner nudging. We choose how to see it and how to interpret it. We go into a deep dive into James' story and all about empathy. And I think I was coached in this spot, which I love how we empathize with the problems and with the possibilities and how our experiences are always shaping us and preparing us for the work that we are here to do. James likes to think of himself as an artist of experience. His passion is to create transformational experiences for himself and others as a way to explore what it means to truly live fully alive. James is a result coach and founder of the Weekly Wins and Losses podcast and a weekly global community call. There is a link in the show notes to be able to join this call. He helps people in their journey to embracing all of life, both wins and losses. James helps you firmly establish the mental and physical courage needed to do the difficult things while guiding you to activate your ability to leverage the good news that lies at the heart of both a win and a loss. I absolutely freaking loved this episode and I know you're going to love it too. Welcome to the show today, James. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so first off, tell everyone where you are from. Yeah, thanks. I'm from Vancouver and uh, today I'm sitting um, in my office and I got a little banana tree. So in Vancouver, the bananas don't grow, <laughs> but I like the tree and I like the leaves. So I protected the, the the tree and the trunk with burlap and bark last year. But for some strange reason, I guess it got a little chilly, too much rain and it froze the thing. So, hey, I'm just one of these people who likes to, who likes to do some gardening and try a few things. So I'm not graced with these leaves that are nicely shading me in my office this morning, but it is what it is. So there you go. There you go. There you go. I'm just excited. I, I don't get to speak to a lot of Canadians very often, to be honest. A lot oh. of times it's Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to this. So we've had already an interesting conversation. And what I want to start with is you just downloaded and talked about like the highlight reel and how we share so much sometimes, or others can share from the highlight reel. And I want you to give us your highlight reel. And then we're going to talk about what's not shared in that. The highlight reel. Wow. This is interesting. Cause typically I share, I begin to share part one of the story, which isn't the highlight reel. It's the opposite of it's the, it's a story of suffering. It's the story of failures and you're doing the exact opposite, which yeah. is like to queue up. Cause when we started talking, we were talking about how so often people do too much highlight reel. And here you're putting me on the spot and saying <laughs> highlight reel first. I'm like, Oh my goodness. What do I do with this? <laughs> I like to throw you out your game. It's all no, good. This is, this is real no, authentic. This is real authentic. Okay. So if I can be totally honest, um, 10 years ago, I exited a story. So if you, ever, if you want to hear that, that, that part, you can ask later on, whatever mm-hmm. you want, but mm-hmm. I exited a really deep suffering story. And I, and I, um, erupted into the space I'm using this big word erupted. I'll just be honest. It was such a change. It was just a, a transformation where I went from having deep expectation of life to deep 
appreciation of life. And it was just phenomenal. I, th- I think I lived in suffering so long. And so that deep appreciation has me, and I'll say this for listeners, and please don't misunderstand me, but I have designed a life because the other part didn't work the way I was doing it. That is just unshakably in love with life. Like that's all I can say. I used to want not to be here. I used to want to, and how often isn't it listeners, right? You know, something goes on and it's not um, our preference. It's not how we'd want to see it unfold. We're like, oh, geez, it would just be nice if I could be over there somewhere, go on a vacation. Or of course, in the, in the religious community, if I could be in heaven, if I could just not be here or whatever this ends up being. Right. And I remember that was me. And you asked a different side and that is, where is it now? And for the last 10 years, so this last decade, designing my life of, of, it's just been so full of peace, so full of joy, unshakably in love with the unknown. And so I actually find deeper comfort in standing in places that are unfamiliar and unknown. In the past, those things, they, they made me cringe and, and made me almost like fear. But now it's like, oh, bring it to me because I want to experience what's in here. I want to feel a Freudian slips and all. I want to just let them out because I want to experience. I used to always be about bringing and, and, and you know, solving for bringing optimal experience to others. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, listen, if you do it for others, but you haven't done it for yourself. Oh, no, no, no. You are self-deceiving. It is only so you're going on willpower and you're going to exhaust. And that's what happened to me. But again, now it's unshakably in love with life. I just love being here. I love participating with this very moment. And I lost my notes for this show. I prepared. I lost all of this. But now I'm going and we're going to see what's going to happen. We're going to just see what what, what you and I, Marsha, can, can co-create and be about. And I'm just excited to see what's going to come from all of this. So we get to participate with what's here right now. Unfamiliar. And I love it. <laughs> okay. So this is even better because you just said about the unfamiliar and I've already thrown you a few curveballs, which I love curveballs. Like I love doing that. So I'm, I'm happy and I'm honestly, it's awesome. So how you are right now, like that energy, you can hear that. And one of the things that before we even dive into the back part of your story, not the highlight reel, what I find fascinating about what you're saying is how much peace, joy, and in love you have with the unknown and the unfamiliar. Like that is not a common trait for people. Like when I am coaching in groups, it's amazing how much it comes up like, but I haven't made as much money now. What is that going to mean for next month? What is that going to mean for like over here? What am I going to do in a month, in six months? And I'm like, we're not there yet. Like we're not even there yet. And so it's amazing as humans, we are always on to the next thing, thinking that if we think harder, work harder, we can plan, which we can't, we know that's not true, but that is so different from, I think, how the average person lives. And so it fascinates me. You know, when you say that, and I can help Marsha, but I'm choking up right now because I'm feeling... I'm feeling that suffering and that deep pain because I was there once yeah. and I was extremely there. And so when you say that and you say most of or many of us, you know, I feel with that because we all, we all have a desire to think it can be better. Mm-hmm. I think the good news is that you're right. Anything can be better. But if we ever, tr- if we ever try to flee our existence, it won't work. Yeah try to do it for a minute. I tried doing it for two and a half years. It didn't work. Yeah. Try to think your way out of something. It doesn't work. And so it's like this, right? Something is served to you and it's different than what somebody else was served. And you observe what is served to you. But I look at it like this. We throw ourselves into a hellish experience of life. If we judge whether it's good or bad, Because the moment we look at it and we go like, "Hmm, I'm not sure if I like it, it doesn't match my preference or my outcome. Mm -hmm. And the moment we go, well, let's look around and see if I maybe appreciate somebody else's serving better. As soon as we do that, we have judged that this thing apparently isn't what we desire. And then therein we buy our suffering and we pivot towards, and then we choose something to your point, own your choices, own your life. Mm-hmm. You have some delivered to you in your life and you can own how you want to onboard this. Choose wisely, 
this was given to you. It's your gift. Mm-hmm. It was it was designed exactly for your moment. And you wonder why and how, but it's a gift hidden in disguise. We've all heard these things. But why is it when the loss comes or the perceived loss comes, whatever it ends up being, why is it that we take that as the negative news? Why turn negative into positive when it's never been negative? It's just news. Mm-hmm. I was desiring an 85% on my math exam. For example, my son says he's in high school. He got 65. It's the news. It tells you where you're at. If you want to see clearly and what you might want to be about and not to correct a problem, mm-hmm. but just be like, oh, this is what's at. Like, who when we read the newspaper and it says a tornado is coming, do we like, no, I don't want to see that. We're like, no, we call the friends. We call the grandma. We call the mom. It's coming your way. And we share. So we use it. We use the news to promote it. But then when it happens in our life, it's like, oh, I got this served to me. Mm-hmm. How could, this is the worst thing. I had a deal going on and all of a sudden they pulled back and I look at it and go, well, that guy over there, he just drove by with a Jaguar. I, I, I'm, I, I'm sure all his deals go through. What am I doing? That's wrong. Whoop. There we go. We slid into the abyss. Yeah. There we have it. It's, it's that um, gap we were talking about. I don't know if you've read the book, mm-hmm. the gap and the gain. I loved it. I've done a number of different mm-hmm. um, episodes on it. But we end up making the gap so much bigger, right? The second we, if, yeah, as soon as our path, and and I always say when our path does not go according to plan, which is never, because mm-hmm. we, we don't, <laughs> it's actually never. And then we start to immediately go, I must be doing something wrong. Oh, wait, she's doing it right. He's doing it right. What are they doing? And all of a sudden we take ourselves completely. I feel like we take ourselves completely out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And now all we're doing is thinking like, what is it that they have that I don't have? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. You know, it's a fascinating concept when you say gap and gain. We all want the gains of life, mm-hmm. but I think the gap appears when we see it black or white mm-hmm. and not, we don't see the gray because black and white is transcendence through exclusion. We transcend by needing to choose one or the other, but that always induces a suffering state when it's either, or it's suffering. Mm-hmm. Transformation requires integration. Integration is when you see black, white, gray, and many. The side of an intellectual mind is one that can hold a plethora of thoughts without feeling pressured to adopt any one of them. So it's like there's the win. There's the loss. Mm -hmm. Black and white. Own your choices. What would it look like? Mm -hmm. Choosing either or, you'll always, and and you know this, you'll always activate the survival mechanism. Always. You'll always choose one that will bring you furthest away from the death that you fear and more towards the life that you want. But that's what an animal does. When an animal looks, an animal only looks for where's their safe, safer areas and where is it most dangerous. It looks to flee death and and more towards. So it's very instinctual survival, primary, primal based entry level thinking. But we humans have been given someone that's beyond. We can, you and I, we can stare out the window, for example, and we can just look at the window and not be looking for where the danger is or where the life is. We can just look out and just contemplate mm-hmm. because that's the gray matter. That's the in-between that's, we can take both and we can integrate it. The, 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 the black, the white, and then we can sit in the gray and the gray isn't like not feeling anything. That's not what we're talking about. It's just to, and to the point, if you ever want to transform. You have to integrate and integration is very different than choosing black or white, which is transcendence through exclusion. Cause you can think about some of the, and I don't have a problem with the religious community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I come, my dad was a pastor of a mega church. So I know that world very well. Okay. But that group typically, and if it's dogma faith, I'll just say it that way, you know, they transcend, but it's through exclusion. It's through cutting things out, reductionist mechanism. But transformation, if you want to live a wider lens and you want to live the goodness of all that life really is, you're going to want to transcend through inclusion. And that's you're going to want to include many different perspectives. And you're going to want to integrate that because if you don't, you're going to probably do what I did in the first part of my journey, which is try to think my way out of this dystopic mess. And if you try to think your way out by eliminating you're missing the goodness of life because the goodness of life is to utilize everything. 
This is deep. This is deep. And I love it. Um, I really do because I think you're right. We tend to look at right, wrong, black, white, and we don't see those pieces in between. And that's the integration that we get to take ourselves through and learn, create feedback, right? We create feedback within ourselves of like, yes, this is, this feels good. This does not, I would make this choice again. I would not make this one. Like, this is how we learn. What I would love to know is because I want to take you through some of the pieces of integration that worked for you. What was life like before this time? Well, let's just say it this way from, from age zero to 30 some years old, I hardly remember from zero to whatever it is, five or six or seven, eight, nine, 10. The only thing that I do remember is when I was roughly 11 years old, uh, we, my dad owned a farm. Like I said, he was a pastor of this mega church and bless my dad's heart. He's a generous, a humble man, but I'll never forget. There was a moment in time when I was reversing uh, a tractor with an implement. And so there's a pivot point and so you have to turn just right. So anybody who has a camper or a boat will understand this. Of course, in today's world, it just does it automatically. So you don't have to worry. Right. Anyway, so I was reversing this implement and it had a few pivots. So not just one, but a few. And I was pretty proficient at it from the age of 11. I thought it was pretty good. But I know what was going on in my dad's head. He must have been stressed from work or whatever. And as I was reversing the implement, I could see him mouthing the words. It was a cold. So we lived in in uh, in Winnipeg, in Manitoba. So it's directly above North Dakota. And it was snowing. It's beautiful. And I wanted to be with my friends. But here I was and I was supporting my dad. And and he would go help people in the church. And I would take care of the farm off. But this time he was around. So I'm like, this is a privilege opportunity for me. I'm reversing the implement in the tractor. And then I see through the glass window of the tractor cab that he's standing out there and he's mouthing the words, what will ever become of you? Because I didn't get it, the reverse on the first try. I just saw him say this and I bought this story and I chose to think that that would be something wise to focus on. Now, to the point on integration, and I'll I'll do my best. and And if you'd like to draw me there later on, how I tried to deny this and try to exclude it first. So the first part of my journey, when something, and think about this, right? When a story hits you at that young age, I remember when I, when I got, when I, or when I met Meg, I, I struggled to keep a job because I was constantly fearing. And when you focus on what you fear, you're going to produce it. And so I was fearing I wouldn't be able to keep a job because my dad basically said, what will become of you? So I'm questioning that. My, that's my reoccurring story. Mm-hmm. And so I found an exit to many a position and, or they found an exit for me. I met Meg. I've been with her now for 27 years, married for 22, have a 17 year old son and a 15 year old son who has high functioning aut- autism. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget there we were Mary came back from her honeymoon. And at the time I was driving a truck because I was transitioning from, I developed allergies. I wanted to be a farmer back in the day, but I developed allergies. So I couldn't work in the soil anymore. So I was transitioning, working with my hands. So I was driving a truck. I had my class one license on the farm. We had these big semis. So I was driving this truck, but we came back from our uh, honeymoon and I got a call from then my boss. My boss says, there's no more loads for you to haul. There's nothing left. And we had just bought a house. And we're like, well, what are we going to do? And um, so what's interesting is we started a business. My wife is a nurse. So I started a company and I love challenges. Right? I love to stretch myself like really wide. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that stretch came because I really desired to prove it to myself that I can make something of myself. Now, I am a person that likes to stretch. I'll be honest. I do. <laughs> I love it. I love feeling everything. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not like a small feeler. I like just rip me right open. I love to feel it all. But there we were, I, you know, I, I decided to, you know, engage in a company uh, or create a company that we built houses in Canada and we moved them throughout Canada and throughout the United States. And it was a project. I mean, I never built houses. I never did. I had people that built for us. I became, let me say it this way. I became pretty successful financially pretty quick. And what was interesting is I remember the one day I was just sitting on the porch and there I had the cars, then, you know, new house, the new cars. Uh, the vacations that were planned, the investments that I just bought into. It was this nice life, right? And I thought, gee, I got it figured out. 2008 comes around. What happens? It's a housing crunch, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my market was virtually gone. It just went from, from, from people wanting to buy and they sent referrals over to me because we gave a, an amazing experience. I'll be honest. I'm pretty proud of that. We really took care of our people. Uh, but then, of course, the news, crickets, no mm-hmm. more noise no more calls coming in. And what's interesting is I remember sitting on the porch and contemplating what what I do now, because that's the first thing, right? What what am I going to do now? Then I remember just thinking to myself, you know, this is going to be harder than I think. And I started building on that. This is going to be harder than I think. And of course, people were driving by and they look relaxed. I didn't look relaxed anymore. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what they're doing that I'm not doing. There's the gap. 
it just starts developing, right? And all of a sudden, this thought came that it might be a wise thing for me to choose that I perhaps was a fallacy, that I had eked out and I had chanced this thing, which made no sense because I started this from, from ground zero. This hadn't been done in our area. It made no sense. There's way too many things that if it was chance, it would have been a one-off. It wasn't a one-off. I, I did this how many times at how many clients? But I made that decision again, that maybe I was a fallacy and maybe I couldn't do it all over again. And maybe actually this is my one shot wonder and it was over. So I chose to think it was over. And I remember I came into the house and I said to Meg, Meg, it's back. She says, what's back? And I said, well, you know, in my teenage years, I felt depressed most of the time. And I used to be a stumbling, stuttering. I felt like a fool. And it was my wife who finally, I remember the one day I was standing in the foyer when I was dating her as a three month in, we dated for about four years three months in when all of a sudden I just couldn't help, but my stuttering just took over. And it just, there's one word that just keep, kept repeating. And I couldn't, I loved her so much. She was so special and so cute. And so, you know, she's like this little four, 10, three quarter little frame and just this bubbly little precious, lovely thing, thing. She's not a thing, but you know what I'm saying? I, I, just, I just, I saw her as this little, little thing, right? It's just a beautiful yeah. little princess I had. And I remember standing there again, we, you know, three month in dating and I remember um, there in that moment all over again, thinking to myself, and of course, I'm going backwards in the story because that, that business story that I just shared, that that's a little further down after we got married, but rewind the tape a bit, standing in the foyer, we were dating, but then you can hear the narration again, what will become of you? And perhaps it's all over. Like my dad was like, what, what will happen with you? I'm standing there and I'm bumbling and I'm stumbling and I'm stuttering, but I had a little tear that developed my, I'm like, oh crap. And I just said, oh, and I was going to apologize and say, I'm so sorry, baby. This is who I am. And it's probably over now because I thought who wants to be with somebody like me? And she looks at me and she says, James, I understand exactly what you're saying. And that was the first time in my life when I felt like all of me was included. Somebody integrated and used all of you. I know your words are coming at all like this, but I can feel, I know what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I feel your heart. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, so precious to me. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment I'm like, she's a keeper. She is a keeper. And from there, of course, I developed my speaking and be able to communicate better that I wasn't stammering all the time. I still do it the odd time and I own it. I'm okay with it. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Speech pathologist says, I just think so fast. My tongue can hardly keep up. That's why this happens. But going forward again. So there it is sitting on the porch, thinking I'm a fallacy. I walk inside saying, I think it's back. She says, what? I say depression. And she's like, oh, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to the bedroom and try to figure it out. So I made the choice to go lay down, mm -hmm. thinking that I'd sleep it away. Well, what started as an idea to sleep away ended up being two and a half years of sleeping 18 and a half hours a day, overdosing in melatonin and gravel. And then when I get- 18 hours a day. 18 and a half hours a day. And then when I get up and there's days when I said, okay, I'll go to the office and we had staff. When I said, I went to the office, I jump into the car and cause I tried to prove to myself and her that I could still do this, but it was, it was so massive. The gap, I guess, mm -hmm. but I couldn't help on the way on the drive to the office. I would find an abandoned road or some kind of dirt or gravel road. And I churn off. Of course, we live in a farming community. So I find an approach, like a farmer field approach. I parked the car. I jumped to the back seat and grab a blanket and a pillow. And I'd overdose all over again on melatonin. Just try to sleep. I didn't want to kill myself, but I didn't want to be here. Right. And yes, I understand. So didn't want to live like live right. life. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So when I say, so I need to be sensitive when I say kill, yeah. I don't want to say those harsh words. I wanted to be here. I had two boys at the time. One was two and one was one. So I wanted to stay, but I was just trying to numb myself thinking that perhaps if I do this, then my thinking would evolve. And what's interesting is because I was trying to exclude parts of my story for two and a half years, trying to think about which parts I should eliminate, what I should get rid of, what the bad news was. What's the problem with you, James? Empathizing with problem versus possibility will always create issue. Mm -hmm. But I kept going on and on. Didn't go to family gatherings, didn't see family and friends. It was really hard for, I almost lost the business investment. Meg was there for me, but I'll never forget one day she enters the bedroom and she says to me, what happened to our relationship, baby? Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my goodness, here's the one that I promised my life to and to take care of her in sickness and in health. I had a lady on my podcast yesterday, the lady said when she promised and she wasn't of a certain language, which would, they got married in a certain type of <laughs> a culture and, and uh, the pastor had said in sickness and she thought he had said in sickness and in health. <laughs> 
it, it wasn't health. It was, it was health, obviously. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is there I was in my story and it literally felt like hell. And she's saying, I'll be with you no matter what, but what happened to our relationship? And what was interesting, we went to a, um, fast forward a little bit, uh, the end of the second year, we went to a, um, the second year of my story that is 18 and a half hours a day sleeping. We went to a Tony Robbins date with destiny. They don't sleep at those things. Just so you know. know. And, and, and the energy, like the energetic thing on your nervous system, because that's how you create change at the subconscious level. You have to crack through the conscious. I love, I love the way you just did that. So you obviously have good reference point. You've been there. You've heard, you know, you know, right. Hmm. And so I dragged, I basically dragged myself there and they, people always said I was a happy depressed, meaning I was always willing to happy. I was always willing uh, to, to onboard help. Like I wasn't an angry person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I say happy, no, I was deeply miserable, but anyway, when we go to this event and of course, there's a few different days, uh, different, uh, tones that he sets in the day, day five or day four is relationship day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I had successfully managed, like you say, to be inside the event for whatever it is, 16, 17, 18 hours a day. Very long. Yes. Very long. And then at about day three or four, I think I'd slept maybe a combined eight hours for four days, whatever it was. And so for me, of course, and I, and I, before my story, that part, one of the that suffering story, I never slept that much. So I was used to just muscling through, but here I'm sitting here thinking 18 and a half hours sleep compared to this. I'm thinking I'm tired. So relationship day comes, Meg gets up in the morning and, uh, and she says, Hey baby, it's relationship day. This will be fun. And I says, Hey honey, I'm just really tired. And she's like, Oh, and this is what she did. Our entire and she's still like this. She never pushes too hard. She goes, I'm here to support. You do what you need to do. But the one thing she made clear within my journey is she needed to keep living. Someone needs to buy groceries. Someone needs to take the kids to appointments. Someone needs to do this. And I had already reckoned that would happen and that was happening. But the more it happened, the more I began to feel like, you know, maybe I'm just missing out. So she says, I'm going to go down. I got my cell phone on. If you need anything, just text me. I said, okay. She leaves the room. And I think to myself, oh, I close the blinds. We're in Florida, Boca Raton, mm-hmm. you know, and I grab my melatonin and I find the big comforter and I slide under the bed, just slide under the sheets, basically I'm like, oh, I get to just check out. And how often isn't it the checkout that we want, but really we want it. We really desire to check in, mm-hmm. but because she wasn't resistant, it was about five minutes in. And I began to hear these little voices in my head saying, she said, you know what, baby, it mean the world to me if you come, but you do as you want. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how can I give her at least this? And what is this about me? And I said, well, the worst thing that can happen is I just feel like shit more, pardon the language, but I feel like garbage mm-hmm. more. The worst thing that can happen. And this is, and you and I know a Tony Robbins event is super safe. Like people will embrace you with your cry, with your, it's safe. Very safe environment. Extremely. Everything is there for you and people will wrap around and not coddle you, but support you in exactly what's needed. It's a beautiful environment. So I walk down, I enter the room, open the door and Tony's in the front and he's talking about depression. I can hear it. And I'm trying to find my group. I think I'm group purple. So I'm trying to find my bandanas. I'm walking along the side, sneaking along the side, trying to find my group. And then he turns and he walks towards my direction. Now, not directly in my aisle, but one over. And you know how it is when you're at an event and somebody starts talking about things that relate directly to you. You think he's talking to you. <laughs> he's talking to everyone, but yeah. it's like, this is for me. Okay. I'm this is what I'm feeling like. And he just says things like depression is the, and he's not talking about clinical depression. No, he's not. No, he's not right? He's talking about, um, you know, depression that we often do to ourselves. We bring it on. We make choices, unhelpful ones. And also we find ourselves in the state and he's, he's walking towards my way and he's saying how selfish it is. It's Lord helplessness. And I'm sitting here going, Holy smokes. I'm thinking the world is all noticing me, which that's a problem. If we think we have the biggest problem, like whoops, right? Yeah. You know, I wasn't on headline news. I should have perhaps turned the TV on. I'm not there. Yeah. Come on, you know. <laughs> so there, and there I am walking up, and he's and he's layering it in, and I just feeling like I feel like this whole container is going to blow. But I finally find group purple, and I sneak in, I sit down, and he's just going off on this depression thing. Like 30 minutes later, <laughs> I'm just like, this guy, I like him, but how could he be so insensitive? I'm thinking to myself. But as he talks, more and more truths are hitting me and they're just boom, boom, boom. 
Then he asked the group to all our groups to stand up and we could do group work. Our group stands up and they're all talking about they see me sitting. They said, James, you want to join? And I said, Oh, I'm just, I'm good. And as I'm sitting there, I'm sitting here going, everyone's standing, but not everyone is feeling great. There is just some suicide interventions that he did a few minutes ago here. What's going on? Why am I the one sitting? And I thought, well, but my story is horrible. I'm like, be careful how you own your choice here. It doesn't feel nice, but who is to say that everybody isn't feeling losses constantly here? And there's, there's these feels going on here. And I'll never forget. There's this moment. I just said to heck with it, get up. Mm-hmm. And I just got up and he had some music that he was playing and it just stirred my soul. And I, I feel it again, because from that moment, I can cry and I can laugh at the same time. Mm-hmm. Emotions are at the surface where I, where I own them and I'm thankful for them. And that's when the joy began to erupt. And that's when it's just the pieces of my life. It where I once tried to exclude I now said, now I'm going to bring everything in. Instead of saying, I once made silly decision to check out of life for 18 and a half hours. That may have been a silly decision, but it was a decision nonetheless. And here's the thing. It's part of my journey. So I have to integrate it. I have to claim it. And I claim it as like, that was mine. I don't have to live there anymore. I have to allow my pain to serve a purpose. Because if not, we haven't learned much. I have to let it transform me. It serves a purpose. And I thank you for everything that you shared there because our pain does serve serve a purpose. It hundred percent does. And I think that, and this is just my own thoughts and generalizations, but what we do as humans so much is, is that we shame ourselves and judge ourselves for our feelings, our experiences, and we keep Mm. ourselves there. Like we keep ourselves. It's like, we (laughs) literally take the anchor and we strap it to our foot and we're stuck. Mm. And then we're like, Mm. I can't figure out a way to move past this. And I'm like, you have the key, like you have the key. So you're doing it to yourself. And I think by integrating it, not judging it and saying, okay, I know what this feels like now. I actually do think I want something different. And I appreciate you saying, like, I, I think of, you know, two and a half years, 18 and a half hours a day of sleeping, what that must've been like for your family as well. Like your wife sounds like she's a rock star. I love her. I just, <laughs> and I'm not saying that as I just like, because here's the thing, you can't make someone change. You can keep the doors open for communications. But sometimes it requires us to step into like our best version and go first. Mm-hmm. And maybe they come along, maybe they don't. You know, I love when you say we can't make people change, right? No. The, uh, the human being will flee um, any attempt of slavery. Even back in the day when slavery was the thing, the best treated slaves, the very best who slept right next to the master on the best mattresses. Even when the master would leave, meaning turn his back for half a minute, the slave would contemplate if not try to escape. Mm -hmm. If ever you try to remove the autonomy from a human, the human says, no, the Buddha, the oppressor is on your thumb, on your finger, anywhere on your, on your neck, you will go along with it until the person turns their back and then you'll flee. Mm-hmm. So when I think about when I think about the choices in life, you know, there's Meg, wise one she was, she is. Mm-hmm. I think in life, if we ever think that we can conjole somebody to bring something, if it's not of them, if they haven't decided of themselves to bring it, they will resent you for it mm-hmm. and they will fight you. They will fight you and resistance. If you resist and if you're attached to outcome and if you have desire to judge, you know, there's a little story. Meg shared this with me years ago. She said, hey, listen, baby. She said, whether the story of Adam and Eve is true or not, and we could care less. I mean, we do have a faith. It is a beautiful story. To me, the Bible is basically I'm an amateur there, but the Bible stories are literally a grouping of stories where love wrapped around new situations continuously in brand new ways. It just kept evolving. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the solving, like you're horrible and I'm best. It was a love that kept evolving and wrapping around scenarios as they happened. That's the good news, right? The good news. Mm-hmm. But she shared a little story. She said, hey, baby, whether the story of Adam and Eve and Garden of Eden is true or not, here she goes, this is the only thing that I can, can put together on it. There, there was something in the middle of this beautiful lush garden. The people had everything. They needed, these people apparently had everything they needed, but there's this tree and there, there's this idea. I don't eat of that tree. But these people apparently wanted to decide like God could, they thought, what was right or wrong. So they wanted to be like God. So they're like, well, why can't we judge if this is good or bad? 
So they made judgment on it. And again, whether it's a story doesn't matter to me. The point is this, if ever in life you go about wanting to decide what's good or bad, you enter the judgment stage. Mm-hmm. And when you enter judgment, then you will be thrown to hellish experience of life. But if you ever want to wander back into the garden, whatever that looks like in your life, live heaven on earth, heaven on earth. What is that? I think it's the moment here. It's now what you will like, what you will do is you will change instead of desiring to say, is this good or bad? See, there's that whole thing of developing the gap again. And you will just decide you get to bring something. What do you get to bring? You get to bring that you get to experience life and you don't have to hold the weights of do I think this is for me or not for me? Is this good or bad? No, it is what I received. So it is, I'm going to onboard. If I receive it, what other options do we actually have then to receive? I don't know what you think, but it is there for you. I couldn't agree more. You know, one of the quotes of like, whatever you resist persists. I spent many years resisting mm-hmm. our story, our circumstances, our situation, and trying everything I had to create change until I realized that I was losing myself to a point that I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't want to be here Mm. because I felt like I'd failed on so many levels that I just didn't want to be here. And that was when it was like, okay, I remember a counselor saying to me, like, if you, if your family comes back together, you need to be a springboard. And right now you're a pile of quicksand. Like you're absolutely useless in this state. And she was right. She was hundred percent right. Well, well, that is what I needed, that kind of message. Mm, mm-hmm. And so it just started to become like, what can I do for me? What can I do for mm-hmm. me? What do mm-hmm. I need next? So when people say to me all the time, yeah, but it worked out great for you. I'm like, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that we, I didn't know what life would look like four years later. I had no idea. And um, it worked out so great for you. And it was so like, everything worked out smoothly. And it's like, no, I actually had to choose me first and I think that's what allowed a lot of changes to happen. So as you went through this and you went to that Tony Robbins and you had that day four, the relationship experience, what started to happen in your life past that point? Was it almost like, I'm not going back this way. I'm only going this way. Or did you dip back in and out? Or what was it like for you? Well, the doctor had me on just a small dose of a medication, but I was on a, on, on a slight taper off of that already, that prescription. Okay. However, I was feeling severe side effects prior to the event from mm-hmm. tapering off. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think it's mind playing tricks on itself, but I thought this is a chemical based reaction. All that I can say, and I wouldn't recommend any of you just simply do what I'm doing, what I say here, but I just literally forgot to take my meds because it's starting to feel so much better. I went home and I remember thinking, I need to continue with the truth like you did. Mm-hmm. I need to continue with the truth of the message. How am I being helpful here? How am I being beneficial here? How I am abusing myself, helping my situation and the greater whole here. And then of course, the truth is, like you said, asking the question, what do I need right now. And I think that's one of the key things in life. We often focus on what do I need someday? And then that's where suffering comes. The gap widens when you go, yeah, but I need that and that. And then we have this, just the gap super wide, mm-hmm. you know, um, something that always resonates with me, uh, Meg and I, we become close friends with Bill and Sharon Humphreys. And that's Tony, Tony and, and Sage Robbins in-laws and, li- and they live here in Vancouver. So we see them every now and again. Oh wow! The, it's really kind of a, a fun little play. And so the one thing that I've, that I can sense and I've picked up on is a pattern. And so whether Tony picks it up from them or them from, doesn't matter where it comes from. But one thing I've observed Tony even saying, uh, you know, in the last couple of years, just being like people are there with him, you know, instead of complicating everything, he just looks at them and says, what do you need now? Mm-hmm. And that's what Bill and Sharon always, what do you need right now? So right now it's, I think it points you to the truth of the matter. And what I needed right then is I just needed to, you know, Eminem has a song. I think it's something about exercising the demons. You just need to get them out of you. And I didn't have demons in me as far as I'm concerned, but here's the thing. It's some staking thinking and they need to shake off the rust. So I'm never forget. I went over to Walmart and I purchased a P90X workout video. And honestly, I knew I probably wasn't going to stay with it for like forever. <laughs> I just needed to really get into a program where I, where I could experience myself hitting the moment when said, or when I would feel like, like I can't do this, I got to stop. And I want on my body, so my physicality. And we know that's the basis of all transformation to get it inside of you. And so, of course, by day four or five, I'm really sore. 
And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And there's Billy, whatever his name is. She's like, keep going, keep going. And so um, those voices, what's interesting, Meg was downstairs at the time and she would be like, wow, James is really intense. And of course, I switched so quickly. It took her a while to get used to because I was like, I'm on. I was decided I'm here. Right. And so I was doing this workout thing and and, um, and I think it, I think it lasted only about 30, 35 days. And it wasn't like the program isn't good. So please listeners, if you like the program, keep doing it. It was just, I knew I purchased it to get myself through a certain stage, mm. but this is the magic of it. That was the physicality and physicality changes how you often observe the world because you shift your thinking. Yeah. And one of my thinkings that really kept me trapped for those two and a half years. And I had read so many books about parenting before we kids. I thought I had it figured out. So I based my life on the, I know how to do this. And then of course, when I was there sleeping, I'm like, maybe I don't know. And of course, if we feel threatened by what we don't know, we're in trouble. We gain strength from what we know. And we don't know both of which, not just one or the other certainty and uncertainty. One of the things that really kept me trapped is thinking, oh, I really messed this up. My kids, they're influential years. Rowan, when I slipped into my story was two, he was five, almost five, four and a bit. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, these foundational years are over. Like, and I'll never forget. I was doing my P90X and I came down the stairs and I was going to the office and this time really going to the office. And he comes up to me and he just grabs onto my leg and he's daddy, daddy, I want to come with you. And what's so interesting is what I thought I'd lost. And it wasn't just that moment. It's one little short story but it just takes me right back to the essence of that moment. That one little episode of him hanging onto my leg. When I came home, all that I can say is when this man started showing up again, meaning I just crept out of bed and I was just there for him. I feel like all those moments I had lost, whatever was there to be regained, I regained in a snap. Mm. He was just there for me. And I'm thinking to myself, how precious isn't life? How many chances doesn't life give us? Mm-hmm. Life is there if we just but show up. If you're willing to tell the truth, and I think key is if you're willing to go right to the threshold and then see what's there, because threshold is where you discover the new you. It's not the bad news when you feel stretched. Like you and I know the good news when you feel stretched, you're like, who am I there? <laughs> right? That is so good. I love, I love, I love, I love that. And I think the piece of, I mean, I can feel your emotion and I can see it. And I, I just think it's, it's beautiful because it puts you in the present moment. You were able to appreciate that time with your son and you start to stack some of those wins on and it can start to make a difference. And I think when you start to, to use Tony's words, when you change your state, you can see things differently. And when I started to change my state podcasts, weren't really a thing. Mm. They were just starting. And I was trying to read the books. Everybody said, write your gratitudes. I was feeling nothing. Mm. And I heard Brene Brown say, like, when you block, when you try to block pain, you block all emotions. Mm -hmm. And so when I sat there and I was trying to do this exercise of where did I feel joy? It was like, I don't, I don't feel anything like, and I became almost this numb version trying to survive. So at that time it was YouTube videos Mm -hmm. and it was Tony Robbins, YouTube videos. And I'm no joke. I literally would keep a headphone in. And as soon as I could feel my state drop, I would listen to it again. And it just all it, I think the big thing that it did is at that time, I was living with very much a tunnel vision of what are we going to do if something happens to our kids? Like, what are we going to do if we lose them? What is, what's going to happen? I was planning for the worst case scenario. I was the whole time I was planning for the worst case scenario. So you become this very tunnel vision of almost seeing what you think is going to happen which virtually almost did. And you don't see possibilities. So as I started to change my state and really be connected to that piece of it, and and I'm, he's just one of the best in the world at that. He really is. It opened up all that was possible. So I lived on his videos for like months on end. And that's what helped to change my state. And so you start to see that now you start to see different possibilities and different things. So yes, exercise was part of it. Movement was part of it. You know, whatever it is, what, what works to change my state is going to be different from you. And that again, back to, we can get very caught up in, well, she said, gratitude's work. She said, you know, when I journal every day, it's better. When I stand and do my affirmations, it's better. I couldn't connect to any of that Mm -hmm. because my state was so bottomed out. And so I think it's, just being open that the right situation, the right person, the right experience is going to start to cross your path 
and mm. show you what is possible. And it sounds like that is was such a, a major turning point for you. Gosh, Marsha, you said so many things are so point on right there. Isn't it fascinating how we all have a bit of a different story? Mm-hmm. The truth is to relate exactly to something that you may have gone through. It's kind of difficult because you don't live in that person's body. And so the other person typically, and back to the autonomy, the other person will say, well, you don't quite understand. And the truth is we don't quite understand. Okay. The only thing though, when I listen and observe what you're saying, like kudos to you and hats off for you, to you for just keep doing a certain habit that bring you to that state. That's just, that's like, isn't it funny how we get to participate with our miracle instead of just, instead of just sitting there waiting and hoping and praying, it's going to come, we get to actually participate with it. So luck is something that you actually have a part to play. The thing is there is something guiding you. It's true. But I think what's guiding us is to participate with it because anytime you do the opposite of participating, you're checking out and you're sitting there hoping, praying and waiting. Listen, patience is great. The only thing is if you're kind to yourself, you're going to recognize that you were created to create and that the the co-creator says, you stand right beside here, beside me, and we get to do this together. So you feel most alive when you feed into and fuel the regeneration of what your existence is. Your body clings and craves and claws to the very day you die to be about saying that and, 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 and behaving in such a way that you can respect and you can honor. Where does that come from? It comes from when you on board all emotions, including pain to your point. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I exited my story, I had such a shift. It was so radical. And it was like from darkness to light, like seriously, girl, that's all I can say. It was, and you know what? I don't mean right. to say that's what I'll be for everyone. Like, listen, I went through hell. I went through two and a half years of hell. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. You know, sleeping in the back of my car, you hear the story. It wasn't fun, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you something. The switch happened so quickly. The one day Meg and I, we had gone up for lunch with some friends and I was feeling great. Like I just like great, not as in great, like hyperbole, like not flying. That's not the kind of great we're talking about here. We're talking about like a real grounded, truthful, great. But while I was driving back to the office after lunch, I remember thinking, you know, James, you had so many measured growths and you feel so great because that rapid shift from feeling like garbage to feeling where you do today. I would listen to my psychology and I was thinking, you know what, if you're not careful, James, you're going to recreate because you recognize that suffering led you to this place. And I thought, wait a minute, what's the truth here about suffering or pain? And I thought, you know what, pain comes often before suffering. Think about your car dashboard, the light flashing, engine warning, engine warning, pain. And I just created an acronym that would lead me in the moment because I thought, if you're not careful, you're going to recreate a suffering story to feel this euphoric all over again. And I thought, I don't want that. So how can I do this where I onboard and integrate something that actually happened here in real time? So this acronym that I have for pain is simply, please accept inner nudgings. Please accept inner nudgings. Because if you don't accept the inner nudgings, that engine flashing light, the engine will go and you will be suffering. Now, this is the unhelpful. This is the learned helpless place that I was mentioning. And you understand Tony talks about learned helplessness, right? Pains. I think we have to onboard a little story. If you don't mind, I'll share here. Oh, absolutely. Bringing into light. And you began by asking, okay, so what's the good of your story? And then, so we shared the other part now as well. And that was a reverse. I've never done that before like that. And I love it. Actually, I, I, I prefer it, but t- typically people always start differently. So I, I go know. with their vibe. I like it. It's super fun. Thank you. Um, but I'll never forget. So I had exited my story. Uh, at least the first part, I was on the second part of my story. And uh, I came home one day and I remember thinking, this just isn't working the way that I like. And I remember thinking, what is this? this feel, what, what is this? And I remember thinking, you know, see, I was raised in a home and my parents, they're from a different generation. So I love them, you know, wonderful people, but they just, I don't think ever said sorry to me as a child. Like we're sorry we did this. They never, they never said that. I can relate. And, yep. And so there, there were things about Rowan, for example, and Rowan was a little older at the time. It was probably six at the time. And I remember thinking, you know, I've never said sorry to him, but what happened just before I left home I don't feel so great about. And he had thrown something off the table. He was just being silly. And, and I said, hey, please don't. We got a new floor or whatever. But And then I kind of ratcheted it up a little bit, intensified. 
I hadn't yelled at him per se, but I, I hadn't been super kind and I hadn't given him anything other than that what he did was a problem. And so to our point earlier, all listeners, we know each one of you can do one thing and that is ask yourself, am I empathizing with my problem? Mm-hmm. And if you are good on you because empathizing with problem is step one. Awesome. But unless you move to empathizing with your possibility, you're stuck. So you feel your heart, you feel sad, nothing wrong with sad. You stay at sad too long. You stay at depressed feeling, nothing wrong with a depressed feeling for a moment. But if you stay there for too long, if it's a moment, no problem. But if you stay there for more than just what it's designed for, everything in life was designed and given to us an emotion included. It's an arrow to point us to, to prepare us for next proper action. Everything, every emotion. So when you have something in your life that you say is problem, but you don't let it become an arrow to the next thing, you get stuck. And now you end up buying the story. And now you buy books on depression, you go deeper in depression, or my son being like, and I didn't want my son to have a story unfold in his life, like for me. So of course, I have to be careful that I don't become addicted to my trauma bonds and put it onto him. But at the same time, I want to, I want to be responsible. So I come home and I decide on the way home that when I come into the house, I'm going to walk up to him, Rowan and I say, Rowan, daddy wants to say I'm sorry for what happened before. I need to give you a bigger picture of the truth. What I said there was true, but this is also more than that. It's truer than true. The only thing is, while I'm pulling up to the garage, I kid you not, I'm thinking my moment as a dad's over. Where I got this from, I have no idea other than just the story of how I was brought up. Meaning when I say, sorry, my boy will look at me and say, I can't respect him as a dad. He's not a mentor. He got something wrong. He says, sorry, I'll have to find someone else. I literally felt this. And I walked into the house and I put my little briefcase down and I said, Ron, can you come here for a second? He sat down and I remember feeling like, you know, a million cuts. Yeah. I said, bro, and I'm so sorry what daddy did before though. That is true. What I said. And I was just kind of like in that state with him. And I said, but what's most true is this, but I remember thinking, okay, he's going to be like, well, see you later, dad, basically. And it's really kind of garbage thinking, right? Think about it. It's just, it's crazy. <laughs> he looks at me. What does he do? He gives me the biggest hug, of course. And he goes, oh, daddy, no worries. No problem. But thanks for saying that. And he runs away. Done. Like in their mind, right? We're good. It's good. We're done. We're, we're, we're done. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, I challenge each one of you. When you feel like something that you're that you need to do is bringing you so much pain, ask yourself how pain is gain. Win and lose. It's all for gain. When you say sorry, it isn't to take you away from the greatness that you are. Ask yourself, don't you want to feel both big and small at the same time? We like to walk, go for a walk or go for a run. And we, you know, we can feel our frame. Like I'm six one. I like to feel my frame and I'm, you know, we see a cricket and we're like, well, thankful I'm not a little bug. We think yep. perhaps whatever we're thinking. But then in the evening, when the sun goes down and the moon's up, we lay with our backs on the grass and we look up at the stars and we love to feel so small. So we get strength from feeling big and small from the known and the unknown, from the certainty and the uncertainty from the joys, from the pains, from the peace, from it all. It's all there as a gift and it's for you if you wish. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Seriously, that is beautiful. I love, um, we do get addicted to our traumas. We do get addicted to our pain. It does become something that I guess this is my life. Like, I guess this is where I'm at. I just want to touch on one quick thing, empathizing with your possibilities. So perhaps I'll start with you. Like I have a little definition of empathizing, but what does empathizing mean to you? Um, Empathizing is to me is recognizing that other people are experiencing something at the same time. So recognizing me being able to relate to what you're saying. And again, I didn't walk in your story, but I can relate to a lot of the emotions that you're saying. I feel like one of the challenges that has come over the last couple of years during this pandemic is either we have lost the ability to empathize how this has affected others or, or maybe we didn't have it. I don't know. I feel like you could take the same scenario, like a pandemic, it can affect all of us differently and it's not right or wrong. It's not, it's not good or bad. It's not worse or better. It's just recognizing that I'm not walking in their shoes. I don't know what life is exactly like, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I can be here to, to support in any way. So that's my take on empathy. Sympathy is like, sympathy is when I feel sorry for you, mm-hmm, right? That like, mm-hmm. that is a, to me, it's a terrible emotion. It's not something I really, um, I work really hard not to say that because mm-hmm. it's not helpful when you're in a, in a, but empathy is like, I can hold space for you. Mm-hmm. I can hold space and respect mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you are in 
this experience. Okay. So, and, and again, I'm just going to paraphrase. So what stands out for me is, um, is that what you said in that empathy is recognizing that what you're feeling, I understand what that is. Mm-hmm. However, you're recognizing what they're feeling is slightly through the known, but also quantifiably through the unknown. Mm-hmm. And so there's known and there's the unknown. So you're not deciding which one. You're not saying this is better than the other one that I know what you're going through or I don't know. What you're just saying is it's actually some total. It's kind of mystery to some degree. I get to be here, but it's a mystery how I can feel what you're feeling. It's kind of bizarre, right? It's kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. So empathizing is like the language. So back to what I think I I think I mentioned earlier, but a child has the ability to communicate before language ever comes forward because it's empathy. Empathy is a language of love. Mm-hmm. People ask Tony, how, how do you do what you do? And he goes, and he tries to explain, you know, the best way to ruin a good question is give an answer. So what are you going to do? How can you explain what love is? Love is an action. What are you going to do about this? Right? Back to the thing, empathizing with possibility. When I think about the word possibility, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about this. And then we can put these two together. Perhaps we can figure this out. Like I have a feel on it, but let's kind of make it for the listener, right? When you're empathizing with possibility, possibility just simply means you're telling truth of what actually is. So it's like, there's real possibility that they were going to take your kids from you one day, back in the day. There is real possibility, mm-hmm. but it's like this. Listeners, try this, pick up a coin and tell yourself, put it between your fingers and tell yourself that the coin is only one side as you rub it together like this. Not possible. Right. But then I want you to slap it down the table and try to convince yourself and tell yourself that coin is just what you see. It's just the top side. Ask yourself what sane mind would do that. Not possible. Pick up the truth. Pick up the coin. Feel between your feet. Feel the texture on your thumb and your finger. There's two sides, not good or bad, but where you see possibility one way, there's possibility the other way. So that perhaps ties into with the I know and I don't know, but I don't know. So if I were to take these and so I, you know, actually you, you do with this as you wish, and then I'll perhaps say my little piece, empathizing possibility brings up so much for me. What does it bring up for you? Oh, for me, it brings up even in my journaling and my scripting and words I speak every day, opportunity and possibility are there every single day. I write them <laughs> every day. I believe that possibilities are everywhere. And I think mm-hmm. that there is endless possibilities that we can create if we are open to seeing and receiving them. And I think that's one of the biggest things is that when we come into mm-hmm. our problems, Mm-hmm. With the tunnel vision, we are not open to seeing all that is available for us. We're just mm-hmm. not. And so is it that those possibilities aren't there? No, it's that I'm not open to seeing them. So how can I be open to seeing all that is available? And I think when you start to open up what is available, you can see that there's mm-hmm. endless possibilities available. It's so funny. I'm actually a science and, and math geek. <laughs> I love, I love science so much. Science and I is my sound thing. like I'm like this philosophy major right now, which is very weird. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. What I think about, I'm just going to build off of yours. So you said it probably better than I can say here. But so for me, uh, empathizing with possibility would be where you choose to be kind to not, not just the demands of your life, but also to the desires of your life. So human beings are divided or divided selves. We have a, de- we have a de- demand of ourselves and a desire of ourselves. And what's interesting is even the religious community, they, they have this thing where they believe in this creedal God and they say, God has it all figured out. The only thing is I want to challenge each one of you that comes to the table here with believing in Jesus and God. That's all fine. Works for you. Awesome. Think about it like this, though. When Jesus came down to earth, if that story is true, and it says that Jesus was like a man. So Jesus was at least experiencing what you and I feel, Marsha. And listeners, every one of you can pick up. You have a demand on your life, like I must do this, expectation. But you have a desire, so an appreciation to lean into what you, what's written on your heart, what draws you, your obsession that you have that you just can't put down. So here's the thing. We as human have exactly perhaps what God has, because if it's true that Jesus is, and again, this is not science, this is this is more of spiritual, okay? Mm-hmm. But I'm just challenging all groups of people, science included, spiritual also. That if Jesus is the son of the father, then the father has a divided self like we do, which means God himself, the universe, whatever that is, also has a demand of himself and a desire. So instead of thinking he's got it all figured out, he's got all the answers, bullshit in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He's like, I made you in my image. Like it says that in spiritual books, Bible included. I'm an amateur there. Mm-hmm. But if you think about this, 
empathizing with possibilities, I think you're not just going to pay attention to the demands of life. We have a 16 lane highway, overdeveloped highway of our effing demands on our life. This must be commanding and demanding, commanding and demanding. I'll never forget years ago, I was working with a coach and this coach said, you seem to have a lot of demands and commands in your life, but where does the compassion come in? <laughs> I'm like, oh, but I thought I was being helpful because I was just demanding myself to the finish line. And he said, how's that working for you? I said, it's miserable. Not really. Yeah. So I think to me, empathizing possibilities to be kind to both your demands, but then start really opening up and building out a highway structure for the desires of your life. Because the good news is what you desire is good. It's good. Mm-hmm. We want that to come forward. We need it to come forward. Innovation desires and more than it, we must have it come forward. We must think about the generations that apparently struggle with purpose. We have to have each one of us model that the desire in us, it's going to feel probably wonky to bring it to the world because the world doesn't understand it because they don't have the desire we have. It should feel wonky. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. But we need to start being kind to our desires because we have an overdeveloped highway of demands. Apparently it has to be like this. Somebody knows the answer. We don't. So we need to wrestle ourselves to the finish line. Right. So sorry for that long. And you said it so simply. So, yeah. No, 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 no. Like this is the beautiful thing. There's not, there's no right or wrong. I just, I really want to dive into it. And I appreciate you saying this. And I, I love the kindness to the demands and the desires. And I think that you're right. As humans, our demands, our demands are high. They are, I get it. I also think we are the ones that keep building on those demands and learning to listen to what we need and learning to respect, honor, follow through. Um, it's, it's incredibly important because that's the only way we're going to maintain what we're doing. Like if we're here and we feel like we've got really big work to do and, you know, we want to create the impact, we want to help others. Do we want to do it for a month or do we want to keep doing it forever? Cause the only way we're doing it forever is, or whatever forever (laughs) is, is (laughs) if we actually like build in some compassion and self-compassion to ourselves, because this work is not light. I wouldn't change it for the world. But the only way I'm going to keep going is if I actually put myself first. It's fascinating how sustainability, unless like, and like you say, put yourself first. Mm -hmm. And that is, what do I want? Mm -hmm. I know what I need to deliver. And again, it's not one or the other. Like, I think you and I are saying similar things, correct me if I'm wrong, right? Like what we're saying is desires are great. Demands are great, but Mm -hmm. we have to balance it out. It's a little bit like bringing leadership. You know, I got a picture in my office here. There's a picture of a lion and a picture of a lamb. And I have this thing called fierce love and fierce love isn't which love do I bring the firm or the soft? It's both and at the same time, because if you bring firm and soft at the same time, that's the only love that's influential. A weak love is being overtly firm. Mm -hmm. A weak love is being overtly soft. When you're firm and soft, that's the good news. That's the demand and desire of your life. You bring it together. You're the good news. Who are you? You get to show up. Wow. That this is, this is like beautiful and an incredible conversation. And I'm sitting here. I feel like. Um, we have shared so many parts and deep parts of like you, your story and what you've come through. I want to make sure that we include like, what are you doing now? Because of all of this growth, like you have your own podcast, what other things, what are you doing now with this knowledge that you have? So for the last 10 years, I have carved out a little niche. I've pivoted. So I've sold off the moving pieces of the business that I was involved yeah. in earlier, the real estate and land development. So I'm a strategist, a results strategist. People call me self-help hacker. They call me that, I think, because I study under several modalities. And of course, you and I, similar in the sense where it's gratitude-based, it's love-based, it's compassion, it's fueling from a place that actually brings sustainability. And, and for me, the people that find me, typically people find me that already have found plenty of success. They just feel like their success is so empty. Truth is the human can live without success. I think Tony says this, the human can live without success but the soul cannot live without meaning. And so people typically find me because they want the fulfillment. They want the juice. They want 
to be about what is this all for? And so we love success, but the only thing is how often isn't it that we reach firstly for success in life, but therein lies another piece of the good news because the first half of our life, typically we build on answers, not questions. And so we build answers and then we say, we want more success. We get the marriage, we get the house, we get the partner, we get the children. So a lot of it is on building uncertainty, but then the second half, the tree of life, it kind of shakes and it wakes us up. And there's typically things that happen where the shell of the ego cracks or something that you just can't solve anymore. It's too much. There's a few things that come together at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then you lean into it and you say, okay, you know what? I now I'm going to get my strength, not just from what I know, but what I, what I don't know. So leading into the mystery and letting it all evolve. So having said that one-on-one work, some of you here that are listening, if you feel so inclined, you'll know who you are. Mm-hmm. Often there's one or two, uh, feel free to reach out to me and just go to my website, jamesheppner.com. So that's www.jameshepner.com. And or I'd like to give every one of you a gift here. Uh, actually, before I say this, one-on-one work is is for those that are truly hungry and want to go deep and who want to get to that switch, that master switch, and want to flip it. And of course, these are the ones that life has just shown you and you've observed, and now is your time. And you know who you are. So those of you again, one-on-one, that's different than what I'm about to say. The second thing that I invite each one of you, and this is for all of you, I have a a global Friday, no charge, virtual wins and losses community call. Mm. And you can come and really something that's going to, it's a simple call, but it'll change your life. Meaning you get to just voice primary win of the week and you get to voice a primary loss of the week. And by doing so, you're literally going to clean and clear the deck. And that's going to give you the courage the next week to shoot out of the gate with passion, not fearing a loss anymore, because you all you need to do is remove the sting of a loss. And just by saying the loss and saying the win, you bring to reality that it's all good and it's all there. We don't change a loss to a positive because it was never a negative to begin with. Right. And so come to the call and you can either observe or you can share. So that's that's the two places. And by the way, for that call, just simply go to www.weeklywinsandlosses.com. So just spell it out the word. So Oh, thank you. I will make sure everything is in the show notes. And I love that you do that. I think that is like one of the first things I do on any of my uh, group calls. It's like, like, what are your wins? Like, what are the wins? And because like, just start there, like Mm -hmm, start mm -hmm. at least there. Mm -hmm. And the losses, it's funny because again, things only have the meaning that we give it. So sometimes you can lose something that was never serving you in the first place. So it's not like it's a bad thing. And so it's just, it was just not serving me at all in the first place. So it's okay. I celebrate that it's gone. It's good, right? It's good. Like even think about a breath, right? So you take in and when you breathe out, you let go. So every motion is you win, you, you, you know, you onboard and you let out. Really, that's the process of life. It's a good news. <laughs> it is. It is a hundred percent. Oh my gosh. I have loved this conversation. And I, I've said this before, but I really do intentionally mean this. I think we could keep talking for a very long time. And I've, I've loved this connection. I really have. So I will make sure all of your contact information is in the show notes. I so appreciate this time with you and everything that you've shared. And I do have one question for you, please. Okay. What lesson in life are you most grateful for? Finding the strength in me to really desire to get to know who I am on the inside. That's it. That's beautiful. Honestly, thank you for sharing that. I hope I am looking at you directly, but I hope as you're listening to this, that you can hear the emotion in how James has shared today. And where can you allow yourself to tap into the strength to know yourself even more? It was my honor to have you on my show sometime. Absolutely. I would love it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.